Good morning. If you'd like to turn with me, we're reading from Psalm 23 this morning. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's word. We're working our way, meditating through the Psalms for the summer. The 23rd Psalm is another masterpiece. It's simple, but it's not simplistic. It's maybe, I think, the Bible's most well-known passage. Uh, Would you agree? Believers have, you've read this psalm. You've spoken it. You've listened to it. Some have even memorized it in in some of our life's most dark, darkest moments, haven't we? Even non-believers know Psalm 23. So some, if, if you know nothing about uh, George Frederick Handel's music, you've heard the Messiah, right? If you know nothing about Aretha Franklin, you've heard the song Respect. If you know nothing about the Beatles, you've heard the song Hey Jude, right? If you know nothing about the Bible, you've heard Psalm 23. If you know nothing about David's music, you know David's 23rd Psalm, right? It's a passage that is so well-known, and actually, maybe if, if you're a Christian or if you're familiar with the Bible, I don't know if you've ever thought of this, but Psalm 23 is a passage that challenges misconceptions about the Bible. Misconceptions like, and maybe some of you believe this or have believed this in the past, maybe uh, misconceptions like pursuing the God of the Bible is really just committing yourself to a legalistic life of rule-keeping. Or here's another misconception, uh, that the God of the Bible can't be both all-powerful and all-good. God cannot be powerful and loving at the same time. It's either one or the other, based on what's happening in the world. Actually, Psalm 23 challenges assumptions like that. And quite simply, these assumptions are challenged with the simple concept that we see in the very first phrase, the Lord is my shepherd. Right there. Those phrases are challenged. Uh, I got to turn on my little magic wand of power here, which I forgot to do. Right in the first phrase, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. It's such a simple but profound statement. David right there is saying that the creator of the universe, the God of the world, the great I am, and that's what the Lord, the I am, that's what it means, is that he is what he is. And no one exists apart from him. David is saying that the great I am has taken on the lowliest 
of ancient professions and has become a shepherd to take care of individual souls. Because not only does it say the Lord is a shepherd, it says the Lord, the creator of the universe, is my shepherd. So he's taken on the king of the universe, the lowliest of professions, to take care of individual people like me, like you, like David. And so that is shockingly, even embarrassingly, personal. You can have the same type of trust in God that David is expressing in that statement. You yourself can have nothing less than the same type of trust in God. You can have more trust, more assurance in this God than David did. I have begun to learn in life that everybody is, everybody is on the run. Everybody is running in this life. Uh, some, some people, some of you, are chasing after things. Uh, maybe you're chasing after people or opportunities. Maybe you're chasing after levels of achievement and status. But I've also noticed that we chase after some things uh, because we're running away from other things. Uh, we're still running, and some of us are running from things, are running from people, are running from commitments, are running away from memories. We're trying to run away from old age or death itself. But we're all running. And you don't have to live that way. If what David says here in verse 1 of the 23rd Psalm is true, you don't have to live like that. You don't have to live, as the author of Ecclesiastes said, uh, in, in this posture of striving after the wind. And what I pray you will see from statements like, the Lord is my shepherd, is this, that our only rest from running, our, our only reprieve from running from the threats of this life is actually God's running after us. That may seem a bit ironic, but I hope you will see that is true. Our only rest from running away from the threats of this life and this world is God's running after us. And I want you to see in Psalm 23 that you can trust in a God who is capable. And you can trust in a God who is kind. And that you can actually trust in a Savior who embodies both God's capability and God's kindness. So you can trust, like David did, in a God who is capable. And I mean by capable, all-powerful, sufficient, and able. And so David sings, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, sheep in the Middle East, I, I want you to forget about the sheep that you've seen driving through uh, the lush green meadows of the rolling hills in Pennsylvania. Forget about those sheep and their surroundings, okay? Sheep in the Middle East had to contend with an arid climate. They had to contend with a rocky landscape, and so they had to be led skillfully, not knowledgeably, on paths that would take them safely to green pastures where they could graze, that would take them safely to fresh pools of water where they could be restored. And so David is essentially here saying, I will not lack anything. 
because, verses 1 through 3 continue, because he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. David's trust in his shepherd, right, whether he was needy or whether he was wealthy, because you know from David that he experienced both extremes, utter wealth, uh, extreme wealth, and utter need. Regardless of his experience, he believed that his provision came from God, his shepherd. Now, in verse 4, David keeps singing. And not only does he say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, verse 4, I will fear no evil. Again, sheep in the Middle East, in order to find pasture, in order to find water, they had to pass through ravines, through wadis, through valleys. And, And in these valleys, the cliffs blocked out the sunlight. And in these valleys, the crags could hide predators and thieves. And in these crags, in these wadis, a flash flood could come up without warning and engulf and overwhelm the sheep and the shepherd. So David essentially is saying, not only will I not lack anything, I will not fear anything because, verse 4 Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, David's trust comes from his shepherd's rod and staff. And that's interesting, because the shepherd's rod is basically a club. It's a short club. And it's designed to fight off predators and thieves from a very close close distance to the danger of the shepherd. And so David is saying, I am, comfort from, I am comforted from external threats because of my shepherd's rod. But he's also saying that my shepherd's staff comforts me as well. Now, whereas the, the rod is, is a tool of defense and attack, the, the staff is a guiding tool. It's a direction. It's a tool for direction. It's a tool for discipline. David is saying, not only am I comfort from external threats, I'm comforted by internal threats. You see, sheep stray. Sheep wander. And the staff of the shepherd lovingly and carefully and skillfully guides and directs them where they need to go. And so David is saying, I am so confident in God's care for me, that I will fear no evil because he is protecting me from both external threats and internal threats. David could see that there were things inherently in himself that were just as threatening to his welfare as the things and the creatures and the people outside of himself. So he trusts in God's protection from the outside and from within. So he's saying, I will not lack anything. I will not fear anything because the Lord is shepherding me. He's fully capable to provide for me and he's fully capable to protect me. He's not denying that we will never experience fear in this life. He's not denying that we will never experience want 
We will. You have. David did. Just read about him. Uh, that's really not what he's saying. Look, when you're headed into surgery, right, when, when, you're, being, when you're being wheeled into the OR and you're, you are entrusting yourself helplessly into the lives of somebody else, uh, you are praying that they are capable. Right? You, you want a capable surgeon taking care of you when you are out cold. But in the moments before you're knocked out, it makes all the difference in the world to find out that the surgeon is not only capable, but kind. Doesn't it make a difference when the physician is kind? When you are convinced that somebody is not only capable, but good, that makes all the difference in the world. So you can trust in a God who is not only capable, but in a God who is kind. David closes his song by saying at the end of verse 6, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How can he say that? That is a very bold statement to make. I will dwell in the house of the Lord in the presence of God forever. No qualifications there. How could he say that? Well, have you noticed that the metaphor in verse 5, the metaphor shifts. It shifts from a shepherd to a host you notice that before? Look, look at verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Even in the midst of danger, God's care for David was second to none. Even in the worst of circumstances, God is the, God is the greatest caretaker. Middle Eastern travelers, we're not talking about sheep anymore, but... People who are on a journey. Middle Eastern travelers contended with a dry climate, with dusty, rocky roads and paths and mountains that were you know, not interstate, but difficult journeys. Uh, so scented olive oil uh, was offered to a guest by the host. And, and that scent of olive oil, it was a, um, it was a moisturizing, soothing agent for people who were traveling and tired and weary. And this whole concept of an overflowing cup, it reminds me of a really good waiter or waitress. Right? Think, of, think about it, how a, a good waiter knows what you need before you ask. They've filled up your glass again before you ask them to. You know, the waiters and waitresses who don't get good tips are the ones where you're you're eating and drinking and you, you haven't seen them in 15 minutes and your glass has been empty for 15 minutes and you keep looking around. You're trying to wash your food down with a drink and you're looking around. You can't find the waiter anywhere. But David is saying, God is such a good host to me, even in the most dangerous situations, that he anticipates my need before I even know what I need. Now, why is David sure that God will host him forever. Because that's the catch. Not only that he's a good host, but that he'll host David forever. Here's the answer, I think. It's earlier in verse 6. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. The word mercy here is an important Hebrew word. You've heard me talk about the word hesed before. It's translated in some of your Bibles as loving kindness. It is a big word. We've, we've looked at this word with Abraham and Jacob in their lives. 
in the past. Hesed is covenant faithfulness. It's a special type of love. It's, it's, a, it's like a marriage where you love the person because you're committed to them. Regardless of how they act and what they do and what they say, you love them because you have committed yourself. That's how God loves his people in the Bible, with a covenantal love. It's a love based on his promises and based on his faithfulness. And that's, the, that's what David means here by mercy. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Uh, when I was, we have to talk a little bit more about this word, mercy, following you. President Ford's son attended my seminary long before I went there. This is back in the 1970s. And uh, because of the high-profile student at the seminary, uh, two Secret Service agents were present at all times uh, for, his, for the stay of his degree, uh, and these two Secret Service agents would follow the high-profile student around wherever he went on campus to lunch from class to class. These two Secret Service guys were always with the student. Uh, and, and so what had happened was, over time, uh, these two guys became known at the seminary as goodness and mercy. And, and, and people just said, goodness and mercy will follow this poor guy all the days of his life. And I really think that that captures the intent behind the meaning here of what David is trying to say, that goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. The word follow is not a passive trailing after somebody. Like when you follow someone passively, you're helplessly just trying to figure out where they're going. And that's not what's happening here. The word here, it connotes an intentional, purposeful pursuit. The word is active. David is saying God is purposefully, intentionally pursuing me with his faithful, steadfast love. The kindness of God will chase you down and will never relent to embrace you. It's not that you'll never experience want. It's not that you'll never experience or face fear. You will. The point Psalm 23 is trying to make is this. You need not fear in those moments. You need not feel like you lack anything. Because God is your shepherd. Because God is your host. Your attitude about God changes when you allow him to serve you. Have you ever looked at God that way? That he wants to serve you? Your attitude about him will change when you let him do that. <laughs> I've never met a person who was honored to be compared to a sheep. Did you notice when Rachel was talking to the kids earlier that the second she talking about all these animals and the second she started talking about sheep, they got really distracted. I think that's a really good illustration right there. You know, our mascots, right? World powers, countries, and, and sports teams, we, we have really impressive animals as our mascots. The Russians have a bear, and Americans have an eagle. And Westminster High School has an owl. Right? And we have, Detroit has a lion, and on and on it goes. Nobody gets intimidated. Nobody gets excited or worried when they hear, oh, Tomorrow, we're going to face the lambs. It's not going to happen. Human nature detests 
the sheep-like comparison. Nobody wants to believe that they absolutely need God. Inherently in us is, and I think this is partly what David was saying, the shepherd's staff was protecting him from. The inerrant desire to be self-sufficient and refuse, the, refuse to confess and believe that we really are like sheep. That we absolutely need God's protection. That we absolutely, absolutely need his care and provision. That we're not going to make it on our own in the wilderness without him. But when we stray away, when, when we refuse to know God's protection, to know his provision, to know his love that pursues us, then all we can know is fear. Then all we can know is want. And these are the things, fear and want, these are the things that pursue us all the days of our lives. Apart from knowing the provision and protection and steadfast love of God, what will pursue you all the days of your life are fear and want. No matter how successful you become, no matter how powerful you become, you will run away from fear and want for the rest of your life. Some of humanity's greatest achievements and most terrible acts, some of your greatest achievements and most terrible acts have been perpetrated or accomplished because you and humanity have been running away from fear and trying to avoid want. We run from what we're afraid of and we chase after what we think we lack. We're all running. But again, the teacher in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 said this very insightful comment. Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. But the Christian can trust a human savior, a human savior who embodies both God's complete capability to protect and provide for you and God's loving kindness that pursues you endlessly. John the Evangelist in his gospel presents Jesus of Nazareth as a shepherd. We read about it earlier when Ed led us in that reading in John chapter 10, where it said, where Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We had read earlier with Ed how, how Jesus said, that I know my sheep, my sheep know me, they hear my voice, and that nothing can snatch them out of my hand. Nothing. And he went further. He said, nothing can snatch them out of God, my Father's hand. And then he said something even more scandalous and unbelievable. He said, I and my Father are one. And so Jesus has the right to say, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the seek. You see, in Jesus Christ, the goodness and mercy of God pursued you relentlessly to a cross. Where the Lamb of God, see that? Jesus became one of the sheep. He got right down to your level. He went right down there into the darkest valley with you. And he died in your place instead of you. 
John's gospel also presents Jesus not only as a shepherd, but get this, as a host also. John chapter 14, the night Jesus was betrayed, he's comforting his disciples. He said to them, I'm going to go away and you're going to look for me and you're not going to be able to find me. You're all going to scatter. You're going to deny me. And in that, in that beautiful upper room passage, Jesus also said, because he's, he's also trying to comfort his disciples, and he said, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So Jesus is saying, if you belong to me, no one and nothing will ever snatch you out of my hand. And I'm going somewhere. I'm setting up a beautiful place for you. A place that's going to be designed to keep you and bless you forever. And you're not going to see me for a while. But I'm telling you, I'm preparing this place for you. And when it's ready, and when I'm ready, I'm coming back to get you. And I'm going to bring you to where I am into my father's house. You see, you're more than a sheep and you're more than a traveler who has become a guest. You're a traveler who has become a child. See, the guest is never sure when they're going to have to leave, when they've worn out their welcome. Ben Franklin said it's after three days. But God is saying, you'll never wear out your welcome. You're in my house forever. And that's what Jesus has prepared for you when he went to the cross in your place. And that is what he is doing right now. Preparing a place for you where you will never be kicked out of the presence of God. Your father who has adopted you and has pursued you relentlessly by his loving kindness. Now, how can you trust that that is true? How can you have the type of assurance that David had when he sang this? That God will always lead you. That God will always provide for you. And here's the big one. That God will never turn you out. How can you have that kind of trust? I think this is where it begins. Jesus set a table for you in the presence of his enemies. David is... Absolutely sure that God sets a table for him in the presence. David says, God sets a table for me in the presence of my enemies. But God the Son came to earth as a human being. And he set a table for you in the presence of his enemies. He was the one that walked the dark valley of the shadow of death. He was the one that bore the ridicule, the mocking the shame and the humiliation that you and I deserve. Jesus was the one that was falsely accused, that was betrayed uh, by everybody, that was neglected and forgotten and denied by his best friends. In the presence of his enemies, he set a table for you and he fed you with the food of his broken body and he nourished you by the cup of his shed blood. And when you begin to pursue Jesus and realize that he set a table for you in the presence of his enemies, that becomes your only alternative to running endlessly away from fear and chasing 
endlessly from want. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, Philippians chapter 3, he really sheds light on this concept of, man, once you realize that Jesus has got you and he'll never turn you out, now you get to pursue him in response. You'll never pursue Jesus. You'll never pursue God until you realize what he's done for you, until you let him serve you, until you let him host you. Only then will you pursue him until you realize this. It is just a bunch of law keeping and rules. Until you realize this, you will never trust in his goodness and capability all at the same time. But once you realize what Jesus has done, the beauty of how he served you as a host and how he defended you and saved you as a shepherd, now you will want to pursue him. And that was Paul's point when he said in Philippians 3, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Christ, my Lord. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. You are pursuing many things. But God has pursued you. Now you pursue him. You pursue him. Our only defense, friends, against running from the threats of this life, our only defense from all of that is the fact that God is running after us. But when he catches up with us, it's not with a club. It's not with a rod. It's with a staff. It's to rescue us. It's to rejoice when he finds his one lost sheep out of the, out of the 100. Let Jesus catch up with you and embrace you in his loving kindness. And then you will stop running away from fear and you will stop running away from the things that haunt you. And you will stop chasing after the things you want, the things that other people have, the things you're convinced you need. Let him serve you. He knows what you need. Embrace Jesus as your shepherd who's fully capable to protect you, to provide for you, and embrace him as your host because he is kind, because he is good. Let's pray. Our Lord and Savior, our Creator, our King, and our Shepherd, our gracious host, our loving Father, in faith, we stop our running. In faith, we stop our chasing. And we rest in you to feed us, to lead us, to guide us, to protect us. And we even dare say, Lord, we wait upon you to wait upon us, to serve us. Help us to see the lengths that you have gone to, to become one of us, to become a lamb, to sacrifice yourself for us. Help us to not be afraid in the midst of our enemies uh, because you, because you served us in the midst of yours. May we embrace you as our great shepherd and as our guiding and caring host. Amen.